Back to class, everybody. Back to class. Yes, you've arrived at the Nasty Pasty Podcast, you unfortunate saps. There's no such thing here as getting an education in delicate pastries and cream-filled pies. Instead, all you have here are multiple degrees of horror and lessons in pure terror. We cover long-forgotten nasties that never were. Films that almost made the grade to becoming vilified by the police and the conservatives alike. But ultimately, they couldn't pass the test. Today, we're covering two films that teach us all sorts of valuable life lessons. Rule 1, don't leave your naked lady jigsaw puzzles lying around. Rule 2, beware of bad chop suey, which can cause you to karate chop random strangers at night. Rule 3, repeating a swear word overdramatically three times can make you memorialised forever. Rule 4, drinking 15-year-old cans of beer is not only dumb, but it can cause esophageal explosions. And finally, rule five, when you find that acid flows out your bath taps, it's probably best to lie there and wait for help. No, really. We're back to school this week, as you may have guessed, analysing two school-based slashes from the era that the Conservative Party would rather you forget in its entirety. We have the Spanish classic from Juan Picure Simon, Pieces, as well as the faux-American British slasher film, Slaughter High. Both of them are based in schools, colleges, universities, etc. Alright, it's education-building-based slashes. Not bad grammar, just bad semantics. We're all aware of similar films being nasties, such as Final Exam, Graduation Day, Terrorize, which is also known as Night School, Prom Night, Pranks, which is also known as The Dorm That Dripped Blood, The House on Sorority Row. There's pretty much too many slashes to name in the subgenre. Schools provide an easy way to have many teenage victims in a relatively remote location, so in effect, it's perfect for slasher territory, second only to the summer camp. So let's start the class right away, and delve into our first exercise of the day, Pieces. Ten-year-old boy murders his mother with an axe after she scolds him for doing a puzzle with a naked woman on it. The police soon arrive, with a little boy hiding in the closet and feigning innocence. Many years later, a mysterious gloved person opens a box containing the puzzle and a photograph of the mother, hastily piecing the puzzle together. Soon after, a female student is murdered with a chainsaw by the assailant and has her head taken away. Lieutenant Bracken is called upon to investigate the killing, interviewing the college's dean, who directs them to teacher Professor Brown to show them around the campus. Along the tour, Bracken notices the groundskeeper Willard, using a chainsaw very much like the one that's been used in the killing. 
Student Kendall is being watched by a girl who's enamoured with him, and she leaves a note for him to meet her later that night at the swimming pool. The assailant, however, intercepts the note and goes to the pool himself, slashing her to pieces with the chainsaw and stealing her torso. Willard is arrested as a suspect due to the chainsaw link, and a frustrated Bracken asks Kendall to help out with the investigation, and places one of his officers, Mary Riggs, as an undercover tennis coach at the school to keep an eye out for the killer. Later that evening, a dance student is cornered in the elevator by the killer who saws her arms off and leaves her to bleed to death. A reporter, who's sneaking around a building at the same time, also gets surprised by the killer who suddenly stabs her to death on a waterbed. Yet another student is killed in a locker room when the killer triggers loud music to blare on the college speakers, chainsawing the girl in half at the waist and stealing her legs. Willard is released, no longer under suspicion, while Kendall surmises that the killer may be one of the faculty staff, as the killer is seemingly aware of the school schedule. Initially suspecting Professor Brown, Mary visits the dean to ask him about this, only to realise soon after that she's been drugged. At the same time, Bracken discovers that the Dean is actually the little boy from the opening, and he and Kendall rush to save Mary, with the Dean intending to cut her feet off. They arrive in the nick of time, shooting in the Dean in the head as he lunges for Kendall. Searching the apartment turns up the naked lady puzzle, as well as a gruesome jigsaw corpse hidden behind a bookshelf, composed of all the victim's body parts. Just as Kendall is about to leave the jigsaw corpse suddenly bursts into life and tears off Kendall's genitals. Kendall! Kendall, where are you? Uh, What happened? Another one. In the locker room. It's Susie Bellick's. You see it? Yes! While we were out here fumbling with that music, the lousy bastard was in there killing her! Bastard! 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 He cut that poor girl in half while she was still alive. You have any idea the terror that kid went through? She was still alive, for Christ's sakes! I know, Lieutenant, I know. Much loved for its ridiculous premise and hilariously bad dialogue, Pieces is a Spanish slice of the slasher pie, showcasing some pretty nasty murders and some dumb female co-eds as fodder for the killer. The original script was entitled Jigsaw, and it was supposed to be fashioned into a TV movie, and as a result it was quite a short affair, written by Italian producer Roberto Loyola, and co-written by Dick Randall. Simon took this screenplay, changed the approach quite drastically to showcase brutal slayings, and he also improvised some extra dialogue and exploited the locations that he'd scouted out for the production. Filming for Pieces started in winter of 1981, with the majority of filming taking place in Milan, with some other scenes in Valencia, Simon's then place of residence. Due to the winter weather, some scenes were difficult to shoot, namely Jenny's death in the pool, as she was dangerously cold. 
Of course, the low budget in general, which was reportedly only about $300,000, led to some other concessions being made. There was no second unit photography, which meant that no shots of Boston ended up in the film, which was the original plan. Instead, some stock footage from Simon's previous film, The Supersonic Man, was edited in to give an impression of America. The scene involving the reporter being killed on the waterbed was shot using a real knife as there was no money for a practical effect. But thankfully, clever editing made the scene seem very brutal in nature, so much so that the actress portraying Sylvia, Isabel Luke, couldn't stomach watching it when she went to see the film. Despite the killer looking like the archetype of a Jallo slayer, with a hat, a dark coat and gloves, this look was actually supposedly based on The Shadow from the 1930s comics. Apart from this latter bit of inspiration, Pieces does take a piece from almost every slasher film before it. The prologue is reminiscent of Friday the 13th, The Boogeyman and Halloween, with a murder happening in the past related to a child, the knife exiting the head through the mouth of Fulci's... The knife exiting the head through the mouth is from Fulci's House by the Cemetery, which would later reappear in the belated sequel Psycho 2. The chainsaw moniker is from Toby Hooper's classic, the overly suspect groundsman from Prom Night, a lift killing from Dress to Kill, the trailer featured Janet Lee's screams from Hitchcock's Psycho, I mean, the list goes on really. While the filming didn't deviate too much from the script, with the exception being a planned sex scene between Kendall and Mary that was axed, some little oddities made it into the film and have become part of the film's charming ridiculousness. When Susie is killed in the locker room, Letitia Marfell, the actress, was so frightened of the chainsaw being in close proximity to her that she urinated involuntarily. And this effect remains in the movie as Simon liked the reaction as a genuinely terrifying image. Producer Dick Randall was also making some kung fu films in Rome at the time of filming, and so one of the Bruce Lee imitators, named Bruce Lair, was written into pieces in a scene that is so bizarrely out of touch with the rest of the film, and reality in general. Mary walks home at one point and is suddenly attacked by a kung fu expert, who grapples with her and tries to hit her. Mary defends herself, and then Kendall turns up, revealing that the kung fu guy is his martial arts teacher, who then blames the extraordinary event on some bad chop suey, and leaves with Mary not even questioning the events whatsoever. Equally as silly are the scenes of tennis playing. Linda Day George and the other actresses couldn't play tennis convincingly, so an outside tennis coach had to be brought in to get them to an acceptable standard, which is actually debatable. The successes of the film, however, are the brilliant scenes of gory carnage via chainsaw, most of which was achieved with pig carcasses and imported animal blood from a slaughterhouse. The bizarre ending shot was achieved achieved using razors attached to the fingers, which gouged at Ian Sarah's crotch, which was protected by a box of fake blood. It wasn't particularly successful, as Sarah managed to sustain a cut to his inner thigh. Director Juan Pacure Simon, who had added the surname Simon to make him sound more commercial, grew up in Francoist Spain and started working in the film business in the 1960s, even today stating that he makes films simply because he loves it, regardless of the outcome. Some of his other output includes the hilariously bad Extraterrestrial Visitors in 1983, as well as the extremely gory shocker Slugs in 1988. He does make a cameo appearance in pieces, actually, as the photographer that's taking pictures after Jenny's killed. And he's also, but he also performed the killer's hands in front of the camera. 
Now, Christopher George, who plays Lieutenant Bracken, he had a huge exploitation career and had appearances in the eco-horror movie Day of the Animals. He was in James Glickenhouse's The Exterminator, Lucio Fulci's City of the Living Dead, uh, Herb Freed's Video Nasty Slasher, Graduation Day, and he was also in 1983's Embalmed. Later that year, though, in 1983, he unfortunately passed away due to a heart attack. His wife, Linda Day George, she plays the role of Mary in Pieces, one of many partnership appearances between the two. They'd also appeared together in Day of the Animals and Embalmed as well. Frank Branner, who plays Sergeant Holden, had previously appeared in the Blind Dead film, Return of the Blind Dead, and he'd go on to appear in a lot of Simon's work, including extraterrestrial visitors and slugs. Now, the Dean was played by British actor Edmund Purdom, and he was known in the Video Nasty scandal as the priest from Joe D'Amato's film Absurd. Purdom was a man of many talents, however, appearing in character roles in The Fifth Chord, The Sinister Eyes of Dr. Orloff, Invaders of the Lost Gold, 2019 After the Fall of New York, and The Christmas Slasher as well, Don't Open Till Christmas, which he actually directed in his only directorial capacity. Not only that, he was also a voice artist who contributed English dubbing to The Perfume of the Lady in Black, What Have They Done to Your Daughters?, and the much-maligned animation Titanic, The Legend Goes On. He sadly passed away on New Year's Eve, though, in 2009. Kendall was played by Ian Sarah, who appeared in Simon's later film, Extraterrestrial Visitors, while the suspicious gardener Willard was played by Paul L. Smith, who's more recognisable as Bluto from the film version of Popeye. Red-herring Professor Brown was played by Jack Taylor, who was an American actor who'd appeared in various productions here and there through the 70s and 80s, such as the third entry in the Blind Dead series, The Ghost Galleon, uh, Jess Franco's Bare-Breasted Countess, and the Giallo film as well, Rings of Fear. His career has carried on today as well, with appearances in films like Conan the Barbarian, uh, The Ninth Gate with Johnny Depp, and Goya's Ghosts, whom he starred with in his, uh, with his co-star Mae Heatherly, who plays the unfortunate mother who's killed in the opening of Pieces. Heatherly had previously been in Antonio Margarito's video nasty, Cannibal Apocalypse, as a nurse. Gerard Tichy, who played Je- Dr. Jennings, he'd made appearances previously in Barva's Hatchet for the Honeymoon, and also Return of the Zombies with Paul Nashie, which is sometimes known as The Hanging Woman. Producer Dick Randall, he also produced our other film this week, Slaughter High, as well as Simon's later film, Extraterrestrial Visitors, Invaders of the Lost Gold, and Purdom Slasher, Don't Open Till Christmas. On Pieces, Slaughter High, and Don't Open Till Christmas, he was joined by his co-producer, Stephen Manasian. However, it was Edmund L. Montoro who would trump them in terms of productions that they fostered. Not only did Montoro produce Pieces and Extraterrestrial Visitors, he worked on a whole bunch of other films, like Beyond the Door, Day of the Animals, uh, The Video Nasties, Don't Go in the House, and Anthropophagus, The Last Shark, Mortuary, and Mutant. Co-writer Roberto Loyola was mainly a producer, for example, working on Barva's uh, once-thought-to-be-lost film, Rabid Dogs. The music for pieces is rather an odd combination. Rather than having a complete soundtrack composed from scratch, pieces from other Italian horror films were stitched together, rather like the corpse that the Dean is composing. Themes from Joe D'Amato's nasty absurd make it in here, credited to Carlo Maria Cordio, who also did the soundtracks of 2020 Texas Gladiators, 
Endgame, Bronx's final fight, uh, Lucio Fulci's Enigma and Touch of Death, Killing Birds, uh, Witchcraft, which we've covered previously, uh, Bruno Mattai's Shocking Dark, Beyond the Door 3, Beyond Darkness, and most infamously, Troll 2 and 3. Now, other bits and pieces came from Stelvio Cipriani's library, and he'd done the soundtrack for Barva's Bloodbath, which was released as Bay of Blood, um, Iguana with the Tongue of Fire, Death Walks on High Heels, What Have They Done to Your Daughters, Deported Women of the SS, Tentacles, Bloodstained Shadow, Black Orgasm, Papaya Love Goddess of the Cannibals, Piranha 2, Nightmare City, I mean, the list's almost endless. In recent times, Cipriani did the music for Tarantino's Ode to Grindhouse films, which was Death Proof. Editor Antonio Gimino, he'd worked on Barva's Planet of the Vampires, and he'd go on to join most of Simon's later films, including Extraterrestrial Visitors and Slugs, on which he was joined by the special effects guy from this film too, Basilio Cordillo, who was responsible for some sublime splatter sequences that make pieces just so memorable. Released in 1982 under the title Milgritos Tien na Noche, which translates as One Thousand Cries in the Night, the film has a small theatrical uh, a small theatrical run in the UK in 1983, right in the midst of the Nasties' panic. A VHS release f- followed soon after, released by Avatar, who were a subsidiary company of the bigger CBS Fox. Not only did the cover artwork feature a chainsaw, which was becoming a total no-no, but CBS Fox were already under fire for their release of Unhinged and Visiting Hours, which were both trawled in as video nasties. It's incredible that pieces managed to escape the net cast out against power tool slashers. Pranks, toolbox murders, Bloody Moon, Driller Killer and Madhouse were all nabbed due to problems with power tool killings depicted in the film or on the cover. The print used for the VHS version, however, was heavily cut, removing a whopping 10 minutes from the runtime. This is potentially a reason why it didn't bother the police. If it was seized, there was certainly no objectionable material left, so they simply would have returned it to the dealers. Today, of course, the film is uncut from Arrow Video, who passed it with all previous cuts waived in 2011. And that was Pieces, and we're going to move straight on to Slaughter High.
Flirty student Carol seduces the school nerd, a bespectacled guy called Marty Ranson, and asks him to follow her to the girls' locker room. As soon as he turns up, however, he's attacked by a group of students, who strip him naked, dunk him in a toilet, and give him electric shocks. The school coach punishes them for their attack on Marty, and in revenge, the group give Marty a laced marijuana joint while he's working at the chemistry lab. The resulting mayhem causes the setup to become incinerated, and Marty is both burned by fire and spilled jars of acid. Many years later, the group of students are back at the school for a reunion, but the place seems abandoned. Making the most of it, they break into the building and find their old school belongings in the lockers. Noticing Marty's locker, Skip explains that Marty spent the rest of his life in a mental institution. It soon becomes apparent, though, that not is all right at the school. The caretaker is soon impaled on a coat peg by a killer wearing a jester mask. Ted drinks beer and his stomach begins to explode. Carl is stabbed in his car. Shirley tries to take a bath and is melted by acid. Susan's killed off screen. Stella and Frank are electrocuted while having sex on a bed. And Joe is slashed to death by tractor blades. The remaining students, Carol, Nancy and Skip, notice that everyone is missing and go out to search for them. The girls soon enter the gym and they find Skip who's been hung by the killer. After watching a video playing of the bully's attack on Marty, Nancy is pursued by the jester who chases her outside. She suddenly falls into an open cesspit and drowns in the the filth. Now alone, Carol is chased by the jester inside. Finding a hatchet, she lashes out at a noise and finds that she's accidentally killed Skip, who survived his hanging. The jester corners her in the girl's locker room and kills her with a javelin pole. He then removes the mask, revealing it to be Marty. Suddenly, however, the dead victims rise and attack Marty in a zombie-like fashion. Waking up, the film is revealed to have been a dream of Marty's, who's still in a mental hospital. Jumping out of the bed and killing a nurse and doctor, Marty turns to the camera, intent on actually perpetrating his revenge. You sure you didn't have anything to do with this? This is your idea of a joke. I don't know, Carol. Hey, isn't that Marty's locker? Marty. You think we should take a look inside? You wanna? No way. I'll do it. Now look, I had nothing to do with that. Marty's yearbook. Oh, God. Open it. Guess the little sucker never got it. took him straight to the hospital. He had six months of plastic surgery. Did he recover? No. Not all skin grafts took. When they'd finished with him, he still looked a real mess. Not that it mattered much anyhow. The doctor said he'd never be fit for human company again. His mind went uh, berserk. He flipped out real bad. No shit. Yeah. Don't you realize that we... We turned him from a nice little guy into a crazed lunatic. And you know what? 
They say he still roams the nuthouse, ever hopeful of that chance to escape. Escape back to his old school, so he can take his evil revenge out on us all. <laughs> You're really not that funny at all, Bird Brain. Come on, relax. Last I heard of Marty, he'd uh, joined IBM. He's forgotten about us, believe me. Okay, but just don't fool around, huh? You're gonna be a pin in the ass. Yeah. Looking just like any other slasher picture of the 80s, Slaughter High is the brainchild of three directors, George Dugdale, Mark Ezra and Peter Mackenzie Lytton, who all had a hand in both the direction and the writing of the film. Successfully managing to evoke the stereotypical feel of the slasher, despite being relatively late to the party in 1986, the film is actually a British production filmed in England, with a combination of both British and American actors. Almost in the same sense as Pieces is trying to be a typical American slasher, Slaughter High also has the little flourishes, like semi-American accents, mentions of high school and the such, but it also has a cheeky humour about it that tips it into a bit of a parody of the genre, especially with its massively cartoonish graphic death sequences. Though not specified as such in its title, Slaughter High is actually a holiday horror, set on the event of April Fool's Day. And in fact, the film was originally called April Fool's Day, until the Paramount slasher of the same name was announced. The Japanese release, however, was released under this title, but it's the only region in the world where this is true. Like Paramount's April Fool's Day, Slaughter High has a very unserious tone to it, and it has frequent moments of ridiculousness peppered throughout. For instance, the kids find beer in the school, and decide that it's a good idea to drink it even though it's clearly been undisturbed for around about 20 years. Granted, you're not likely to consider the idea that the cans are full of acid, but still, it's hardly an intelligent response. Nor is it particularly intelligent to lie in a bath and wait for acid to dissolve you, rather than just getting out like normal people would. Having said that, the entire group should really know that this school is anything but abandoned. The place has clearly been reused recently, and I don't remember metal beds being crowbarred into classrooms either. Of course, this is all expected when it comes to slashes, and it certainly doesn't detract from the fun experience. Filming commenced at the Holloway Sanitarium in Virginia Water, Surrey, for the exteriors, while the interiors were shot inside an abandoned building on Marylebone Road in London. It was a relatively easy shoot. The only slight hiccup was that filming was reportedly stopped for a day because some of the pyrotechnics alerted Secret Service agents who were nearby on security detail for President Ronald Reagan, who was visiting England at that time. The atmosphere was reportedly very relaxed and fun, especially as there were rumours that the Holloway Sanitarium was haunted, so the crew were exchanging tales about the former inhabitants. Catering on the production was apparently notably fruitful, with full services for breakfast, elevenses, lunch and dinner. Despite the presence of beer cans in the film, no alcohol was actually allowed on set, despite the huge amounts of food. The special effects were mostly accomplished using a combination of makeup and pyrotechnic explosives, and the artists took their depiction very seriously, even as far as going to medical staff to verify the verisimilitude of their work. The acid bath death with actress Josephine Scandi was achieved with full body makeup that would melt upon contact with water. The makeup in question, however, though, took five hours to apply, which meant that Scandi barely had any time to do many takes. Interestingly, the skeleton shown in the aftermath of the acid was a real human skeleton, another flourish that the makeup guys wanted for the realism. 
main girl Caroline Monroe was a familiar face in exploitation films, having appeared in Luigi Cozzi's Star Crash, uh, the video nasty, the last horror film with co-star Joe Spinell, who she'd also starred with in the nasty, grimy serial killer film Maniac in 1980, as well as Cozzi's later film The Black Cat, which has been released as Demons 6. British-born Monroe had appeared in Hammer horror films and similar era flicks as well, like The Abominable Dr. Fibes, before going on to Sword and Sandal movies with The Golden Voyage of Sinbad, and eventually landing a stellar role in The Spy Who Loved Me with Roger Moore and Barbara Bach. From that day, she's been a recurring face in cult films all over the world, and she currently has two productions as yet unreleased, 315 Wicked Way and House of the Gorgon. And as a special bonus, I actually got to speak to Caroline earlier this evening about her work in the exploitation film industry. So that bonus episode will be released in the next couple of days. So do keep an eye out, everybody. She was an absolute joy to speak to. And I hope that you'll enjoy the conversation as much as I did. The Unfortunate Marty was played by English actor Simon Scudamore in his only film role. Scudamore was employed as a helper at a school for deprived children, as he'd suffered a... a as he'd suffered a bad event when he was younger as well, and it meant that he couldn't join the movie set on the weekends. He tragically committed suicide shortly after he'd completed his scenes on Slaughter High, in November of 1984, from an intentional drug overdose. In some shots of the film, the jester's being played by director Mark Ezra, because Scudamore had passed away at this point. Ezra, along with Dogdale and Lytton, felt very guilty about his passing, feeling that his work on the film may have somehow contributed to his suicidal mental state. Simon's mother, however, stated at the funeral that her son had been dealing with depression for years and that he'd expressed nothing but joy from being able to work on the film. The other cast members unfortunately didn't do many other roles and Slaughter High remains their only credit with only a few exceptions. Donna Yeager, who played Stella, she appeared in the TV movie Strong Medicine. Michael Safran, who played the explosively digestive Ted, worked as miscellaneous crew on the 1990 film Dogma. While Gary Martin, who plays Joe, actually went on to have a relatively prolific career as a voice artist in stuff like The NeverEnding Story 3, Red Dwarf, Fern Gully 2, Mr. Bean the Animated Series as well as a bunch of video games like Killzone, Little Big Planet, and Final Fantasy XII. The film had three directors, George Dugdale, Peter Mackenzie Lytton, and Mark Ezra. Dugdale eventually went on to marry leading lady Caroline Monroe, and later directed 1990's Living Doll along with Peter Mackenzie Lytton. He not only worked on the special effects of Slaughter High, but he also directed his own film in 1994, the gay-themed To Die For. He also did the special effects for 1986's Rawhead Rex. Now, Mark Ezra also contributed to Living Doll, as well as other productions in both film and TV. Steve Manasian and Dick Randall from Pieces, they both produced the film, while Friday the 13th maestro Harry Manfredini composed the soundtrack. Now, Manfredini had also composed the soundtrack to The Children, which we've covered before, uh, the entire Friday the 13th series, and the recently released video game, uh, The Hills Have Eyes Part 2, House 2 to 3, and also 1997's Wishmaster. Alan Pudney, the cinematographer, had worked on Don't Open Till Christmas, which was the Christmas slasher from Edmund Purdom that we've mentioned before. 
while the editor Jim Connock, he'd worked on the video nasty Expose from James Kenham Clark, and he'd then go on to collaborate with the Slaughter High directors again on Living Doll. Now, Lytton worked on the special effects of this film, but he was assisted by Robert Turner, who'd worked on 1995's Shadow Creature, and also John Humphreys, who'd worked for the BBC on The Young Ones with Rick Mayle and Adrian Edmondson. Not only that, but he'd done the special effects for the last horror film, which also had Caroline Munro in it, and he went on to do some sculpting for the 2006 version of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. After a brief theatrical release in the US, Vestron Video released a VHS version in the UK in 1987, way after the nasty scare had actually boiled over. But having said that, it suffered as a result of the panic, being shorn of around 30 seconds of gore, mostly from the exploding stomach, as well as the acid bath scene. Now this cut version was the only version of the film around in the UK for a long time, until 2011, when Arrow Video released a fully uncut print on DVD. And that was Slaughter High, and it's unfortunately all we've got time for this time, folks. So thanks very much for making it to the end without expiring in some way. And if you do have any feedback, come on, I know you have, please do send it on to me. You can email audio or written feedback, I don't mind, to nastypastypodcast at gmail.com. Or you can hit me up at either my Twitter or Facebook page. Next week, we have a pair of another pair of horror films for you to feast your ears on. And it's a particularly nasty duo this time. Next week, it's Torture Films, featuring two dark, dingy flicks that feature gratuitous torture way before Hostel and Saw had defined torture pornography. They are the infamous Last House on Dead End Street and Bloodsucking Freaks. Now join us next week for a truly degenerate bloody time, but until then, stay safe, stay in school, and don't play pranks on each other, eh? Ba 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 bye